Recruiting is no joke, a live stream and podcast dedicated to the recruitment industry. I'm your host, Joel Algy. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the people space to hear their story, what's going on in the market, and what they see for the future. Remember, this is a live show, so if you're tuning in right now, please say hi and ask questions. If you're listening to the recording, welcome, and I hope that you can join a future live session. Special shout out to Bright Hire and Teal for sponsoring the show. More on that later. But for now, sit back and enjoy the most unpredictable show in TA. Welcome, everybody, to Recruitment is No Joke. Recruiting is No Joke. I can't believe I said the name of the show wrong. That's terrible. I'm Joel Lalji. I am your host, uh, the realist recruiter. right here and i just want to give a quick shout out to bright Hire and teal honored to have uh sponsors from just really great companies if you haven't checked out bright Hire, definitely do it they've got some amazing transcription and ai tools that really help reduce bias throughout the interview process and can help with feedback in interviews because we all know that's a major issue and a special shout out to teal if you're on the job search right now you need to check out teal it gives you an option to track every job that you've applied to also, they have features that allow you to match your resume to open jobs to see how much your resume actually matches those job descriptions. Really, really cool AI tools. And if you're not using AI in your job search, you definitely need to consider using it. So without further ado, I'm super excited for our guest today. So Kelly, welcome to the show. Why don't you give our listeners a quick introduction on who you are, what you do, and who you do it for? Oh, thanks for having me, Joel. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, very excited to be here today. My name is Kelly Burledge. Uh, I am the, what's my title here? I am the global president <laughs> of talent. <laughs> I have a lot of hats, so sometimes I have to check myself. I am the global vice president of talent acquisition here at Lineage Logistics. And, uh, you know, I, I have just an incredible team of people that are responsible for producing mad amounts of hires throughout the globe. So our uh, organization is responsible for really getting you the food to your table. And so if you've eaten anything refrigerated or frozen, chances are it's come through one of our facilities. Um, and uh, the, the team that I have helps make that helps make that a reality. So very excited to be here today. And how big is your team? Give us an give us an idea of like how big your team is and then how many hires are you is your team responsible for throughout the year? Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Recruiting is No Joke. I wanted to give a quick shout out to my sponsor Bright Hire. The old way of hiring just doesn't cut it anymore. And my friends at Bright Hire are here to help. Bright Hire is a leading interview intelligence platform for improving quality of hire at talent-first companies. Their technology records and transcribes interviews and creates a set of highlights you can revisit and share to streamline the process, improve the candidate experience, and give teams better information to make the best possible hiring decisions. If you're looking to improve your quality of hire and reduce bias in your hiring process, Visit brighthired.com today and let them know Joel sent you. Now back to the episode. Thanks again. Great question. So when I started here, we had about four. <laughs> now we're close to 50. Uh, by the end of this year, we're going to be closer to the 75 mark globally. Wow. 
Um, and our team's responsible for producing about, last year it was around 13,000 hires. This year we're gonna be probably closer to the 20,000 mark. Um, unless we can we can keep focusing on those retention numbers and then we'll see them come down a bit. But yeah, big, huge, hefty numbers across the globe. Wow, and, and in terms of like the distribution of the team, Obviously, it's global. So, can you give us an idea of like where where people sit and kind of what that looks like at a global global scale? Yeah, we're really fortunate because our organization is of the mindset that it doesn't matter where you are; it just matters what you do and how mm. you. Do it. So, um, and that's that's kind of my mentality too. So, we've got people speckled all over the United States. We do have some on-site recruiters, depending on the location and and just how many hires we do at that facility. But for the most part, we have a remote hybrid model. So there's about 80% of that team sits in the U.S. and the okay. balance of the team sits. Um, a lot of folks I have in the U.K. just because we have so many locations there. Um, but we also have people in France and Spain um, and then have a presence also in Australia for our Asia Pacific footprint. So truly a global team and yeah. a special shout out to the U.K. I always have a special place in my heart for the U.K. So, uh, <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, why don't you, uh, I always ask this question too, at the beginning of the show, mm -hmm. um, talk to us a little bit about how you got started in, uh, the recruitment space. Like how, how did you, how did you kind of get into the industry? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? There's not a degree in recruiting, is there? <laughs> there should be though. There, nowadays there really should be. I, I, I'm making a push for that. There should be. I totally agree. So I graduated college with a degree in public relations, communications, mm. and a minor in industrial organizational psychology. So naturally, the path for me was recruiting, right? Um, it's funny. I, I got into it through a very, very dear friend of mine who still is a dear friend of mine. Um, she was working at a local staffing firm here in, in Illinois and introduced me to just some remarkable people. I actually had um, at the time, I had three interviews at three different places and got an offer to be a pharmaceutical sales rep and two offers for recruiting. And I was really mm. leaning towards the pharma rep role. However, if you can kind of go back in the way back machine and remember ER, when it, ER was on, it was such a popular show. Yeah, George Clooney. <clears throat> yes. And uh, I was watching it and, and this pharmaceutical sales rep came into the ER and they were all kind of making fun of her because she was portrayed as this very flighty, stupid person. And I remember thinking like, woof, I don't want to be viewed that way. And I ended up taking the recruiting job just because of the perception and the portrayal of how that person was portrayed on that show. And that has left me um, to have a, you know, moderately successful career so far in recruiting all because of ER. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Recruiting is No Joke. I wanted to give a shout out to Teal. Teal is an all-in-one job search platform that provides job seekers with an integrated resume builder, job tracker, LinkedIn optimization, contact management, and many more tools. Their new features include GPT-powered AI functionality to help run an effective job search. Over 200,000 people have trusted Teal to land their next job. Install their Chrome extension and get started for free at www.tealhq.com. That's www.tealhq.com. Thanks so much for listening and appreciate your support. <laughs> Look, this is a lesson in employer branding, okay? Yeah.
you know how pe what people what people think of of your position uh, can be based on what they see so uh no that is that is hilarious so uh and did you start on the did you like jump into like internal recruitment or agency how how did you get started in that way yeah i cut my teeth in the staffing world which i i really uh forever and ever think that was the best career move for me personally. It just gave me so much exposure to so many different clients, how recruiting works. Um, a funny story, I actually went into one of the organizations to turn the job down that I had. I was going to go another way. And when I went in, they could tell that I was like, ooh, I don't know if I'm going to take the job. And they took me to lunch. And um, that clicked, that just closed the deal. I fell in love with the people that the two women that I interviewed with and that I had lunch with, I'm like, Oh, I could really learn a lot from you. And mm. you just seem like good people. And, uh, so I spent just shy of 10 years working in staffing, um, and had a heck of a time. And I'm still super, super close with that group of people that we kind of all worked together for, you know, almost a decade. So it was a fun, a really fun experience. So I started in the staffing side on just frontline call center, you know, showing up in parking lots and making sure people were showing up for their jobs uh, and then did some on-site work and then moved from um, the staffing world into the RPO world. And so I, I guess when you, when you're in the, in agency, did you always know that you were kind of destined to go internal? Did you have that in your mind of like, all right, I really enjoy like the recruiting aspect, but I'd, I'd like to kind of work directly for a company. Like how did, how did that happen? Yeah, I think that the part that I really struggled with with being on the agency side is you were constantly competing with so many other companies. And I felt like my candidates were the best candidates, right? So I was always frustrated when another person would beat that out. And so in my mind, going and working for one company to me was really important because I could represent one company and have one set of client groups to partner with. Um, and I really thought that it would have I would have a much bigger splash being able to just control one organization and, and have that. So when I went the RPO route, I did that because I was able to work with one client and it was all in the pharma space. And so building that relationship and, and having a responsibility for the pharmaceutical footprint was also pretty exciting, um, but working for one client. And then I got the exposure on the RPO side and wanted to work on the corporate side of being the actual person that's responsible mm. for the recruiting, which I did. Yeah, I love that. What, what, uh, I guess, was there anything that kind of surprised you? Um, I mean, obviously, thinking back to like agency days, but like, was there anything that surprised you going internal that maybe you didn't expect or that stood out to you as like, okay, this isn't what I thought it w would be? Um, Yes and no. I, I think I thought companies had their acts together a lot more. When I was on the <laughs> um, you know, nobody really knew what was going on. I got to one organization and they didn't know what their TA budget was. And they had mm. all these outside agencies supporting them. No wonder why they couldn't get their jobs filled. They were just all duplicative and all stepping all over each other. Um, so that part was also really fascinating just to see the inner workings of how a company operates and how they leverage partnering with outside firms. And how just in my mind, how important it is to have a great relationship with the companies that you work with, because, you know, when you step into an organization, you farm out recs to 30 recruiters. It's just a terrible experience for everyone. And so seeing some of those and having been on the receiving end of that as a recruiter, incentivizing me to work for one client uh, was totally different than when you knew you were competing against other people. So I approached it as a very relationship driven if I was going to go work with an outside firm, I only wanted to work with one. 
And if you couldn't do what you said you were going to do, then I'd pivot, but I'd let you know <laughs> so I didn't waste your time. Um, and that obviously had a huge impact on just the success of the companies that we partnered with. So that was probably the biggest lesson learned for me. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny. I do a lot of um, kind of like TikTok lives and, and, you know, just kind of stuff that we just geared towards uh, job seekers. And that's one of the things that I repeat a lot is there's no standardized hiring process among companies. It's not like everybody's doing things the same way. A lot of times there's different steps and people approach hiring and recruitment differently. So I think even just from, even just understanding that as a job seeker is helpful, right? Because otherwise you can think, oh, it, you know, I heard this, that this is what this person experienced. And then you start to do it and it doesn't work for you. But I think people would actually be shocked if they could see some hiring processes. And obviously, I think there's been a lot of really positive changes. And I'm sure there's a lot of organizations that have grown in that. But there's still so much room, I think, for internal teams and processes are constantly changing. We're constantly figuring out, are there better tools that we can use? Are there better things that we can do? Um, but it, but it is always, I think, shocking. And you, I think you see that more in the agency side, right? Where you yeah. sometimes partner with teams and you're like, what's the hiring process? And they're like, oh, actually, I don't know. Do you think we should interview them 10 times or 15? And you're like, yeah. one time. No, just kidding. But uh, no, that's, uh, that, that's, that's really cool. So I guess in terms of like growing in leadership within your role, Again, is that something that you kind of set out right from the get-go and you're like, all right, I, I really have a vision for you know, running this global team or is that something that kind of developed over time? Like how, how, did, how did that kind of come about? I've been super lucky that I've worked for some really incredible people that I think early on in your career see things in you that you don't see in yourself and push you to be really uncomfortable. Um, I was comfortable. I, I really liked being a recruiter. I made good money. I enjoyed the commission. Um, but I also remember thinking, boy, if I was the manager, maybe I would do this to try to inspire people. Or maybe I would recognize that this person may need to be treated a little bit different than this person. And I would voice that, which got me into trouble sometimes. Um, but I think because of that, that some of the wonderful people, and I've, I've worked for just some incredible people, recognize that. I remember talking to one of my bosses at one point, and he was like, yeah, we're going to promote you. And uh, I know you don't want to be promoted, but you're going to do it for six months. And if you don't like it, we'll hold your old job for you, but you're going to try it and see if you like it, because we, we think that that's the direction for you. And I remember thinking, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, but it really part of the reason people don't pursue those things is because they don't know what they don't know and they're nervous mm. they're going to fail and they're really good at this, but they don't know if they have the tools to make the jump. And so I was fortunate to work for a company that had a great training program and great role models that I could shadow behaviors. I could shadow trainings. You know, I could see what didn't work and what did work and then find the, the gap to fix that, which sometimes at organizations we promote people because they're great as an individual contributor, but they suck as being a leader. Mm. You know, they just can't apply the same skills and they don't know how to make that leap. And I was lucky enough to work for a company that knew how to train those gaps and get people to where they needed to go. Yeah, that's, that's huge. I think that's a, that's a huge mistake, right? Great. I see individual contributor hitting all the goals yeah. and then you naturally, those are the people that you look to, to become the next managers, but motivating training 
having empathy, knowing how to get their best results out of people, it's almost a different, it's kind of a different skill set. Um, and I, I've, I've noticed that some of the kind of the mediocre performers sometimes can actually be great managers and great coaches because they're just skilled with coaching and skilled right. with getting the best out of people. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like, what, what do you think has made you um, successful, like, as you've grown in your career as a leader? Like, what what do you think and like, how have you had to change from maybe where you started off from? Like, what are some of those lessons that you've learned along the way? Um, I think there's the book, you know, what got you here won't get you there. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Just because you're successful at one company doesn't necessarily mean that that success is going to be a springboard for you at the new company. <clears throat> I think one thing I'm pretty good at is building really awesome teams. So I find really incredible people that know their business, know how to recruit, know how to be a business partner, know how to be creative and strategic. And they come in and listen for, you know, the first 90 to 120 days before they do anything. They just listen, 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 and then do. I think that type of mentality works well. I, you've probably all been in situations where you're in an organization and either a consultant or someone new comes in and tries to push an agenda or an initiative and you're thinking, never going to work. Like you haven't been here. You don't understand. And so I think those kinds of experiences helped me like slow my roll a little bit, especially when you're in that critical time where you're starting a position and you want to make a name for yourself and you want to be, you make this big splash. That's the worst thing you can do out of the gate. So mm. um, the teams that I've built uh, have, I've carried some of them to many companies with me and, you know, the competency of learning and listening and being humble and, having um, social and emotional IQ and understanding how to read the room. I look for those things when I interview people. I don't necessarily need to have uh, 25 years of recruiting experience. I look for some of those competencies that I think are untrainable. And I've been really lucky of, of building people up that, that make me look great, <laughs> actually. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, I love that. And obviously, you know, the team that you build around you impacts everything and and you want to make sure that you're bringing in a strong team and you're supporting yeah. them um I'd, I'd be curious like right now obviously we're in a just super bizarre market in in a lot of ways and there's a lot of uh, uncertainty and unpredictability in many spaces um and obviously the recruitment market has been hit like crazy yeah. i'm sure you know lots of recruiters on the market i know lots of recruiters on the market um, but you're growing, right? So your your team is growing. Um, has that made it easier to recruit recruiters? Like, what what are you what are you kind of seeing on on the recruitment market as you're looking to scale your team? Like, is it really really easy to find people? Are there challenges? What is what is some of the people in the market? How are people approaching um, new positions? And you know, particularly on your team, I think that. First of all, I wouldn't say it's ever easy to find really solid, good recruiters. I think some people think they're really good and um, maybe they're not, but they try. Um, I think that this whole new, I think the new phrase right now um, is like the re-evaluation instead of the great resignation or no, the, yeah. calling it like, you know, whatever the new token phrase is. But I think that re-evaluation phase um, is requiring people to think about job growth, company, the guts of a company, compensation, pay equity. Is this a, is, are they good people that work here? Is there flexibility? And then people are waiting all those decisions on whether or not it's the right fit for them. They have 
they still have the upper hand. There are still roles out there. So I think it's been easier to identify a strong pool and pipeline of candidates. I think it's been more difficult to um, find people that are going to bring the creativity and the, the piece that we need, because a lot of the recruiters that we have talked to recently have been more on the tech side. And because mm. of our organization and what we have, that's such a small uh, portion of the roles, we kind of need somebody that can be a generalist or know how to expand and broaden that experience. The other thing I think that I've seen too, is that I think lineage pays great, but we don't lead the market in compensation. We lead in a lot of other things, but with all of the changes of compensation and what people are being paid, um, it's kind of changed our mentality around, whoa, we have to kind of rethink our compensation structures. In general, I talked to somebody, you know, that, that was laid off of a tech startup and the person was making like what our vice presidents and senior vice presidents make. And I was like fanning myself thinking, oh my goodness, you know, and we want to be competitive. We want people to be excited about their salaries. And so I think that's been a little bit of a hindrance of wanting people to come into the role excited about coming here and not feel like they took a step back. And I think compensation and all the things that took place with salary ranges over the last year has kind of made people rethink what's important in terms of compensation. Mm. Yeah, it's super, super interesting. Uh, I don't know, because you also hear too, where like, I've obviously been in recruitment long enough to hear things like, well, you know, it's obviously not all about the money. Yeah, uh, you hear that a lot. Um, but obviously, money plays a huge part in like what the compensation is plays yeah. plays a huge role. And I do think right now we're at a interesting point because yes, salaries went up, particularly, you know, 18 months ago to a year ago because the supply was super low. So if you wanted to be, beat out 10 other people on an offer, you had to be really the highest offer, right? That's what right. a lot of a lot of recruiters were concerned about. And I think in some ways that's a good thing, like get the money, you know, you get the full value of what you bring. But, and I, I remember a lot of people talking about like salaries, like, well, it's like the housing market. And I just didn't back in the head. I'm like, well, look, markets go up and down. So, we love the analogy of the housing market when it's going up, but not so much when it's going down and there's, there's more of a supply. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious too, like just across the board. So like, not just with the recruitment team, uh, but like just hiring across the board and, you know, I, I take it you're hiring, you know, across the board in terms of like corporate roles, hourly roles, like really the, the full spectrum. Yeah. Um, and also like globally, are you seeing like a lot of the same trends that you see in the US overseas as well? Is like kind of similar mindset or um, is there like a different way that you would kind of approach global recruiting compared to domestic recruiting? It's a great question. I think I laughed because I'm like the first time in my global recruiting career that it seems the same no matter where you go. Mm, interesting. Eight months ago, it was the same. Warehouse recruiting, frontline warehouse recruiting was so challenging. Um, Amazon was going up across the street. You know, every single time you would open a facility, there'd be a warehouse opening right across the street. And they, we would post, we pay $22. They would post, we pay $22.50. Oh my gosh. war of talent, right? And so- It's like, it's like gas stations. Right? Like you guys are just- <laughs> The waving flags and they're like, oh, we're going to pay 50 cents more. So it became this super- um, challenging environment to constantly have to kind of compete and bid and work and go. Um, 
I would say over the last six months, the warehouse and the frontline warehouse work for us, which is a big majority of the people that we hire, has slowed a bit in terms of we're retaining people. They're not leaving for 50 cents more because I think that inflation and the comp things that have started to slow. But what we've also seen is like as an example in the UK or in Amsterdam, as an example, hiring people in finance or hiring people in different types of corporate GNA roles has been more difficult to do. People are becoming more sticky to their jobs. Um, they, they don't want to leave because they don't, you know, the whole mentality, last one in, first one out. They don't want that in their heads because they think, you know, there's all these recessionary headwind conversations happening, inflation, the housing market. Um, and so people are being much more thoughtful about not wanting to leave their organization. So it's making our aging go up a bit for some of those types of roles. Um, and, and I've noticed that to be very similar here in the U.S. as well. People are a little bit more cautious about leaving. They're asking much better questions. They're doing much better homework on the company and asking great questions about our growth trajectory, you know, asking questions about acquisitions. Whereas a year ago, they were like, yep, I'll take a job. I'll get paid more. <laughs> so they're being much more conscientious about how they're approaching the job search for sure. Yeah, I saw, I think it was the jobs report came out today, or at least I, I saw it today. Uh, LinkedIn did an article and it said that like that quit rate the rate of people quitting jobs as at an all-time low or like at one of the lowest points that's been for a long time which mm -hmm. is exactly what you're talking about and obviously as a business that is helpful when it's your people that aren't quitting uh, right. but when you're looking to grow and you're looking to recruit obviously that's a challenge so how have you i guess how do you coach your team on having those conversations and if there's like other talent leaders out there or founders that are maybe running into the same thing like how do you approach those conversations how do you add in that peace of mind like how do you how do you become more transparent with that communication yeah I, you know i tell people all the time just be honest we we from a transparency perspective in the process we try to make sure especially for our frontline work that people really know what they're getting themselves into so a lot of the people that we hire are done so through our hiring events and so that gives people an opportunity to come to a location see how people interact with one another go through almost like a real live interactive realistic job preview to determine did i like this place were they nice to me were they welcoming um could i see myself here which i think is something a lot of people really need including myself i want to see what i'm getting myself into outside of what people are saying on glass door um and i think those types of things have helped us create a lot more um security for candidates to feel more comfortable from a transparency perspective we're also, you know, really honest. Like we we tell people like this isn't an easy position and here's what you're going to face in this role and um here's a career trajectory for someone that typically starts in this position and here's about how long someone takes before they get promoted. Now, there are other things that could happen more timely, but we just try not to be, you know, the worst is when you get sold on something and you get there and you're thinking this isn't what I thought it was. This they don't live by their values. Their healthcare sucks. They don't let you take a day off. They're super strict on schedules. Like we try to be really honest about where we have flexibility and where we don't, because when people, when the turnover was so high previously and people had so many options, we were doing exit surveys and hearing, you know, like, Hey, I wish I would have seen how cold it was working in the facility. Well, mm. you know, you're going to be working in a freezer, but until you go in and actually experience it totally different. And so we just tried to be more realistic and more thoughtful about how people approached coming to work with us. And it, it helped a lot. 
No, and I see we got a comment here too from uh, Anna, and I know it's Anna because I'm looking at the live stream here, and she just said, "I'm seeing that the opportunity for professional development is almost as important as compensation. Many get into the door with the top dollar, but then become stagnant, the golden handcuffs." So I'm, I'm curious too. Is that is that have you seen that where there's more of like a, um, almost like a demand for training and then like being invested into like is that coming up a lot in conversations that you're having and like how are you are you using that as like a way to retain talent as well super curious about that yeah so i'll speak just to the ta team and then i'll talk a little bit about what our company is doing so specifically within our ta team um you know we've totally revamped our onboarding process to include you know i'll i'll refer to it later but like how do you stay sharp like you know the pencil analogy right like and, and you think about how you make sure that you are continuing to level up and learn and grow, whether it be through webcast, podcast, uh, career events, on-site events, webinars, like people have to be learning. And so we try to infuse that into our onboarding. We also, we also have a phenomenal um, training group here at Lineage. So from an overarching perspective, we look at kind of almost I think about the Candyland game. So like how you start here and you kind of go from one next to the I next. love that game. By I love the way. that game. I play it with my daughter all the time. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I really, I always am the gingerbread. I really like to win on that game too. Um, <laughs> I get really mad when I have to go all the way back to the beginning. But, um, you know, I think to kind of piggyback on the Candyland game, like there is a sequential process in terms of learning and mm. growth. So Lineage is taking an approach of, here is a typical trajectory of someone at an organization. Let's say you start at the most junior position here. Here's what typically happens for that person. And here's some of the training that we provide people along the way. And then if you're in a management role, you're going to need to focus on uh, conflict resolution. You're going to need to focus on negotiation tactics. You're going to need to focus on building trust under pressure with a team. And how do you do that? And so we weave those into our training programs here to help people be armed with you know, career development and training to help them up their game too. Yeah, that's huge. And I, and it's funny because I've been talking to quite a few leaders of, of teams and uh, talking about the training that I'm going to be offering teams. And it's, it's really interesting because I was uh, for a year, for a couple of years, I spent a lot of energy selling into recruitment agencies, like yeah. coaching and development. And um it was really interesting. Like a lot of times they were pretty wary of like training up their people because they're really worried that they're going to spin off their own agency. Right. So it's wow. like they wanted them to be good, but not too good. <laughs> so they don't leave the company. And um, I think it seems like right now there there's, there is like a huge understanding of like, Hey, you really, you really do need to invest in your people because it helps you, but it also does create like even more of like a loyalty, right? Like this wow. idea of, Hey, if you're if you're helping me grow and you're helping me be better, it's a win-win-win situation. Um, so I love that that that's your approach. And and you mentioned is that to what you're doing company-wide, or is there like a different kind of approach company-wide? Yeah, the company-wide approach is really like I mentioned, the building trust under pressure. We've got some more, let's say, big ticket strategic trainings that we do. Um, I also think to your point, Joel, creating individual development plans but meaning like the person's got to meet you halfway, right? So I can say as a leader, hey, I think you should be doing X, Y, and Z, but the person might not want to do that. And so finding out exactly what it is that inspires them and where they want to go with their career and creating an individual development plan that gets there. And maybe your company doesn't have a training on, 
you know, how to do Boolean searching. Okay, well, fine. You can find someone to teach your recruiter that. But when you think about some of the core competencies it takes for someone to be successful, focus on those and then figure out where you have gaps that you can fill in training, like sourcing techniques or, you know, become certified or take one of Joel's training classes um, to help, you know, yes, better do yourself. That. <laughs> Just I do want to hear more about this after the podcast because I'm curious what yeah. companies you offer. So yeah, of, of, <laughs> of course. Yeah, no, I um and the other reason I said that was just because I think it was it's actually kind of frustrating like selling into agencies because that was the mindset. And it's been refreshing like from a corporate perspective to see, okay, like there is a really big emphasis on investing in people and I think there's a ton of benefits in doing that. Like it increases morale, upskills people. And with how fast things are moving right now in technology, um, I think if you're not doing that as a company, then you're, you're not doing yourself any favors because there's so many, I can't, I mean, I get bombarded with sales pitches, you know, especially with like HR tech and TA tech. It's like, there's so much technology um, and so I think a challenge for a company is like, okay, how do we get people up to speed on our teams? How do we remain at the top of our game and keep yeah. them at the top of their game? Uh, while, like you said, managing like, well, what are, what are your professional goals, right? Because not everybody has the same professional goals. So um, very insightful. And I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, when it comes to um, like AI, chat GPT, like are you implementing... AI, AI throughout the recruitment process? Are you looking at this? I mean, obviously it's relatively early, but like, are you kind of like looking at how this could help the recruiting team? I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on that and how you think it could potentially impact things in the future as well. Yeah, great question. One point I want to go back to, and then I probably- Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so when you think about just sourcing in general, I think you know, if you could kind of rewind even five years ago, corporate recruiters really, and some, I hope someone doesn't get mad at me for saying this, but corporate recruiters really just had to review resumes in a lot of cases because their brand was great and the pipeline would just come in when they would post positions. And so, you know, one of the things that has evolved is the need to actually do sourcing and understand how to cold call and how to leverage recruitment marketing and how to use things like AI. And I think that's been why, I've had such success hiring people from staffing and recruiting that have moved into corporate because they know how to recruit without a brand when they're, you know, diversifying and working with a variety of clients, which has been really effective in trying to get people to up their game. The gentleman that I hired in Asia Pacific ran his own executive search firm. He's been wildly successful at filling all the positions that would normally go to agencies because he's done that and he knows how to recruit, which I think people thought recruiting before was, well, I'll post a position on my ATS and I'm going to get a bunch of people to apply. That's recruiting. That is so not recruiting. And so now we've gotten to a place that I think people understand the, the importance of it, um, the need to hire really strong recruiters, and then the need to leverage all different sorts of things like technologies and creative sourcing methods, which you don't always need in, in cases where you've got a great employer brand and there's tons of people applying. So um, to answer your question, yes, I, we have and, and do use a variety of AI sourcing tools. I think for us right now, it's more on the sourcing side. Yeah. So, um, you know, leveraging different talent pools so the recruiters can sleep easy at night and then come back to pools that have been created for them has been highly effective uh, for some of those tough to fill positions um, has worked really well. Are there any areas of recruitment, like just kind of 
I don't want to say dreaming, but like just looking to the future. Are there any? I think I think sourcing makes a lot of sense, right? At times for AI, like using AI. Are there any other areas that you think? Hey, you know what? There's potential here, and I'm kind of curious where that that could go. Yeah. So I spent two years working at a tech startup company that was trying to solve for this. Um, okay. All right. Very and, cool. Uh, so I'm kind of like have a little bit of like, whoa, we we went you got back. the inside <laughs> info now now. Now I'm paying attention. <laughs> right. Now you're listening. Um, I think there is a whole evolution of, you know, where you could outsource a large majority of the administrative work that a recruiter has to do by looking through resumes that don't fit. You're going to be able to train uh, job postings to really kind of learn what's important on a resume and be able to qualify whether or not that person's qualified and move them forward in the process, which you know, if you're a recruiter, say amen of reducing your administrative burden, right? Of all the, like, I, just, I just want somebody to be able to to create a piece of technology that just helps hiring managers uh, figure out how to schedule things. That's all. I'm yes. <laughs> yes, I know. Outside of Calendly, right? Like <laughs> outside of Calendly, which they don't, no, no one likes to use that today. Right? I, I know. It's but it's true, though. I mean, I, I was even listening to a podcast yesterday about um, a a chat bot that fell in love with a teacher, like, and they're trying to understand how the chat bot fell in love with the teacher. Like, this is the craziest thing they've ever heard of. Like, how is that even possible? How did the chat bot fall in love with the teacher through words and wisdom? And so I think computers are, you know, rampantly becoming much more smarter and much more intuitive than we are. And so that administrative piece, put recruiters where they should be, have them talking to hiring managers, have them talking to candidates and remove all those administrative pieces that you can outsource to different AI technology and tools and help them be more effective about the, how they pinpoint the effective job seekers. Oh, well said. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. Well, well, look, I know uh, this, this time always goes by super quick and we're kind of, kind of at the end of time for this episode, we did get this, comment which i just want to look at i don't know if uh you just said with salary offers do you expect the recruiter to short you on the offer because hiring managers or do you try and get the candidate the best salary mm. um i always get look across social media there's this idea that recruiters are out there to lowball candidates that they get bonused on lowballing candidates and after recruiting lots of recruiters and looking at lots of compensation and bonus structures, I've never once seen a bonus structure centered around low bowling people. Um, but obviously that's internal equity and there are issues when it comes to compensation, which we kind of talked earlier. So I would just, I'd love to, like your insight and like, um, you know, when it comes to getting a low, a lower offer than you're expecting, like how, how do you kind of coach your team to address salary? And like, obviously, got salary transparency and there's lots of I think nuances with this but I'd love your take on like how how and why like this sometimes this happens as a business and like how you approach that conversation with your team yeah I think one of the things that we've done this year is completely revamped our compensation philosophy to have stronger and wider bands within the ranges so that allows for more flexibility I think mm. your point Joel with pay transparency laws and pay equity, sometimes they kind of are counterintuitive, right? And so how do you not upset the apple cart of your team if you find out that you're paying your 
specific group 10% less than the individuals that you're making the offer. We've kind of parked those conversations here um, and focused on, we realize that in order to be innovative and, and be ahead of the game, we're going to need to take out our pocketbooks and we're going to need to be thoughtful about the way we bring people in. And so we don't ask people what they're earning. We tell people what we're paying wow, from a okay. compensation perspective, just like we post in our salary postings, you know, specifically there's only four states that require you to do that now, but we share that with candidates. And so they come back right away and say, oh, that's, that's perfect. Like I'm making X amount of dollars right now, and that would be an up for me. So that just kind of takes the heat out of the conversation. And if we're still really far off, then you know, we have the conversation on, A, is this a critical role? How do you feel, manager? Did you budget this? Could you take this away from somewhere else? Or is it a situation where it's just too much out of budget? And unfortunately, we have to part ways until maybe we have a, a higher and bigger role for that particular person. But that type of um, approach has really served us well in terms of hiring some fantastic people and not letting the pay equity, you know, inhibit our ability to hire great people. I love that. I love it. And, and too, like, I mean, we all know, like, as a recruiter, you want good offers because you know that's when people accept. And, like, right. I don't know a recruiter out there, and I'm happy to be proven wrong with this if you want to tag someone in any of these comments. But I don't know a recruiter that doesn't like to fill positions. And one of the ways that you fill positions is you, you know, you give a strong offer. Right. Or, okay. okay. And, and so... I, I think we just need to get rid. Like, if, if there's uh, some influencer out there that's telling you that recruiters are out to get you, or like, you know, I, I think you need to just really think about it and go, okay, most recruiters, they want to fill roles. They want to see you get a good offer because you'll accept. And it means they don't have to keep working on the role. But uh, I do think, like, to your point, I love that approach. I love that you're taking just ownership and you're being transparent up front and just going, can we make this work? All right, great. If we can, awesome. If we can't, Maybe it's not the right fit as well. So I love that approach. Um, I so I know we had, we had, you know we kind of discussed before the show. I always like to end the show with this question, and I think right now because it is a tough time for recruiters, and obviously you've been in recruitment, you've seen some ups and downs. So I just would love like your words of wisdom to any recruiters that are out there that are maybe just going through a really tough time and are like. Maybe they've been laid off. Maybe they've been laid off a couple times over the last couple of years. And they're just wondering, like, is recruitment worth staying in? Like, what what would you, I guess, what would you impart to those people or those recruiters that are in that situation right now based on your experience? Yeah, so I, I've been through it. I've been recruiting since 2000. And so I've experienced 2008 when I rethought my career and thought, gosh, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. I've taken a pay cut. I'm not getting paid. I'm should I even, whoa, maybe I should have taken that pharmaceutical skill. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think my best advice to people is in a situation where there's volatility, recruiting is typically the first thing to get looked at, right? And so I saw something the other day, and it's an old, old thing about a pencil. And I referenced this earlier, and it says, um, it tells you that everything you do will always leave a mark. It tells you that you can always correct the mistake that you've made. Mm. And the important thing in life about is about what is on the inside and not from the outside. However, the biggest takeaway is that in life, you're going to have to undergo a painful sharpening, which will make you a better mm. in whatever you do. And so I say that because anytime there's been a pinch in the market or 
you know, people are worried about their jobs or they feel like, oh God, I'm gonna get let go. Instead of sitting around and feeling sorry for yourself, the first and the first thing that you should do is figure out how to how to sharpen yourself, how mm. to learn more, how to be more versatile, how to network more. Who do you know? Who are you talking to? What does the diversification of your network look like? Don't just focus on the people you know. Focus people on the outside who you don't know. Build relationships and people. With the more options you have and the more people you know will make you feel more empowered. Um, so approach recruiting when it's pinched, just like you're recruiting, you know, for candidates as a job search and, you know, do it methodically and thoughtfully and network and try to up your game and make yourself as sharp as you can from a pencil perspective. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And look, I, I say, been saying a lot of the same things too, like there's opportunity right now. And even just talking about like AI and those types yeah. of things, like, it takes time to research those things. And most people who are working in their jobs, they don't have the time to go out and experiment with tools yeah. and figure out like, how is this going to impact my industry? And I promise you this, if you upskill yourself and you learn how to leverage some of these tools and you go into interviews and ask those questions, like, well, how are you guys using AI? Or how, how have you been leveraging AI? Yes. And you know that you've been leveraging it and learned. It's actually a massive opportunity. Um, and I'm a huge proponent of spending half the time in the job search and networking and half the time learning something new because it's just going to create more confidence. It's going to help you. It's going to keep you better. So I love that advice. I think it's um, super smart. And I also think that as recruiters, we got to be resilient as well. And any recruiter I know that has gone through these ups and downs, they're like the best recruiters I know because they yeah. just, their mindset is really strong. Um, and so this is, it's a testing time, but uh, Kelly, I really appreciate your time. I know uh, this has been a great episode. And guys, if you only caught a bit of this and you want to catch up afterward, you can. The recording will be on my page, and then I'm going to be uploading uh, a batch of, of these podcasts too to Spotify, and hopefully I can get it to work on iTunes. But Kelly, where's the best place that people can reach out to you? How do you prefer to be contacted? Or like, can people follow you on LinkedIn? What's Just, just give us a high level there. Yeah, for sure. LinkedIn is probably the best place from a professional standpoint. And um, I don't know how many people are listening, so I want to be cautious about saying this, but I do help a lot of people uh, with okay, making connections cool. or, you know, making introductions or just, you know, taking a quick peek at your resume. I'm, I'm firmly, I firmly believe that you need to do that in this market. So if I can help you um, in any way, feel free to send me a note. It might take me a little bit to get back to you, but I will do what I can because I know how tough it is. And uh, I believe in good juju and good karma. <laughs> so I love that. I love that. Well, guys, I always say, if you reach out to anyone on the show, you know, send them a connection request. Hey, saw you on um, recruiting is no joke, but then always just be patient, right? Like this is a general rule of reaching out to people. Be patient. You know, you could be a little bit persistent. You could follow up, but it's always done with patience and just understanding that people are busy. Um, but that's why I would say just be patient. Kelly's got a team of a global team of, of a really big global team of 50 people that she's she's actively uh, making sure doing their job. So she's not like me sitting around on LinkedIn all day. So just be <laughs> patient. Uh, but guys, I, uh, I appreciate all of the engagement here as well. I know, Brian, you made a couple of really good comments as well, just about agency recruiters making more. So it is a win-win for both sides. We had uh, Liam, my good friend, Liam. If you guys don't follow Liam, go follow him. He said, yo, Joel Algie, he's a, he's a big LinkedIn and recruitment marketing guy. 
Um, and everybody else who commented, I really appreciate that. And guys, remember to tune in next week. We're going to have uh, a good friend of mine next week called Adam Posner. So that'll be a great episode to check out. Uh, and then if you guys have questions for me, you want to reach out again, DM me, please be patient. Um, and I appreciate all of the support guys. So we will talk next week and Kelly, once again, thanks so much for uh, stopping by this week. It was great. Thank you, Joel. Appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Take care.